Oh, that goes down as the darkest day in the club's history. I'll, I'll never forget that day. It was brutal. It was a brutal day. I remember being on annual leave, going into the club to hopefully celebrate the decision. You know, it just turned to anger. We had to get off our backsides and find some players. Hi everyone, my name's Julian Trantino and I'm from the Don's Digital team. While we wait for footy to return, we're pleased to bring you a podcast series with Adrian Dodoro, the club's GM of Liston Recruiting. Leading the club's recruiting for 22 years, Adrian has a wealth of draft and trade stories that he'll be sharing exclusively on the podcast. We hope you enjoy it. Well, great to be joined again by Adrian Dodoro for another episode of Dodcast. Adrian, how are things? Good, Jules. How are you? Going all right, hopefully looking forward to a return to footy pretty soon, Yep, as I'm sure you are. Yeah, I can't wait. It'd be, uh, be great to see the red and black back out there. Uh, really looking forward to it. Absolutely. Well, let's crack into it. This week we're talking about the 2016 top-up players following the suspensions handed to 34 past and present Bombers in light of the supplement saga. Of course, a significant period in Essendon's history and a year of unsung heroes, no one more notable than James Kelly, who will join us later in the show. Before we get to all of that, let's take it back a year to when the provisional suspensions were handed out ahead of the 2015 NAB Challenge. Adrian, this was the first time you were forced to look at top-up players. What was the sentiment like at the time and how did you approach the situation? Uh, look, it was uncharted waters and it was... Um... It was certainly a frustrating period because we did not we didn't know what the future was, and obviously there was a, you know, we're in the paper for the wrong reasons. Um, there was a lot of doom and gloom around the club. You know, our fans were under siege. Our, our club was under siege, um, and obviously the boys were going through a, an appeals process with the AFL, um, and we didn't know whether they were going to be able to play in two fifteen. So the AFL put some rules in place, and they allowed us to sign thirteen players. Um, for that NAB series. So it was amazing. The boys were training away from Windy Hill. They were training at St. Bernard's and at other locations, but they weren't allowed to train at, at Essendon at all. So we then thought, well, if these boys aren't available in 2.15, um, we'd been through a draft process. There were actually some restrictions on the types of players that we could bring in. Um, they had to be uh, previously listed or Essendon VFL players. So a lot of the quality players that were left over from the draft were eliminated. So then we sat down as a group and thought, well, what are the types of qualities that we want to bring into the club? Uh, and we identified boys that were physically strong enough to play. Um, fortunately, we didn't need them that year, but um, they had to play some of the NAB Cup games um, that, that particular season. So we, we identified um, 13 players and they all signed up within... You know, a very, very short period of time. Um, Marcus Maragliani, James Polkinghorne, Aaron Heppel, uh, Josh Freezer, Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody, Jordan Schroeder, Sam Tagliabu, Clint Jones, Mitch Brown, uh, Mitch Clisby, Jared Petrenko, James Magnus. So, you know, they all deserve a pat on the back for putting their hand up and relocating for a short period of time. Um, and it just goes to show the dream of playing AFL football. Boys will do anything to play. Um, and they uh, certainly, they certainly did that. And to their disappointment, um, it didn't go on. But we certainly got some wins out of it because we got to see, obviously, Tipper and and Mitch Brown firsthand. They later uh, came onto our senior list. How agile did you and your team have to be during that period? Oh, uh, look, uh, you know, uh, Merv, Rob Force tonight, and the team. 
we actually knocked it over pretty quick because um, we knew what was available. We targeted the players that were playing at a very high level at state league level. We knew we weren't going to get a Brownlow medalist out of it, although, you know, as I said, Tip is going to be a great play for a club for many years to come, and Mitch Brown um, certainly served that club ex- exceptionally well. But they all could have stood up and played at the at the level um, had it been a, re- a requirement. There's no doubt. But um, it's probably one of the boys out of that whole group that, if I'm being honest, I'd have to say I'm probably disappointed that we never got to see uh, Aaron Heppel play a senior game of league footy. He's just one of those great club servants, despite the fact... This has got nothing to do with the fact that he's a brother of, of Dyson. He just... One of those guys that you're probably going to be thinking, you know, should he have been given the chance at some point? Um, and he fronts up every week. A great VFL captain. We saw him last year in that VFL final against Richmond. I certainly was thinking, boy, this, does this boy deserve an opportunity? So, is he still on your radar, perhaps? Oh, look, everyone is. You, ne- you never, you never say never. Um, obviously, at the moment, we've got uncertain times ahead with with list numbers and spots and what have you. So it'll certainly make it a lot tougher, um, but that whole process got us to, you know, to see a number of boys firsthand in our training environment, and they all uh, did themselves very proud. Well, later on in that year, the 2015 draft rolled along, and it, there was a lot of good news around Essendon at the time. It was the the club's best draft hand since '98, so four picks inside the top 30. There were no more penalties hanging over the club from the supplement saga, and it was of course the the first one for John Warsfold at the club. How significant was it for you at the time? Oh, huge. Um, you know, drafting is the lifeblood of, a, of any footy club. So to get two uh, top 10 draft picks was, was critical for us. Um, and, you know, certainly there's been some really good players that have come out of that draft. But, you know, we we're really delighted that we were able to get, you know, Darcy Parrish and Aaron Francis, um, two players that are now starting to come through for us. And I think they're coming through really strongly. Um, and, and as I said, they're the cornerstone of what makes your football club strong in the years ahead. You, you can never underestimate what first-round draft picks do for, for a football club. If you look at the history of, of all premiership teams, there's an underlining factor, and that's the quality that comes from early draft picks. And I don't care which, which premiership team you look at. You know, the great Hawthorne teams, when they were able to get you know, Roughhead and Franklin in one draft, you know, Collingwood got Pendlebury and Thomas, you know, his priority selections in, in draft. And they go on to formulate, um, you know, real strength, cohesiveness. Um, you know, quality comes to the fore all the time. So yeah, it's a, for us, it was it was critically important. Um, but excitingly, they're two boys that are now coming into their best footy. Were they ones that you had targeted early on? Did you feel you, you got what you were after with pick five and six? Because we do know that top 10 was, was just loaded with talent. Yeah, um, interesting. It was it was interesting. It was loaded with talent. I, if truth be known, I think uh, Clayton Oliver was a player that we had targeted, uh, and and um, Goody at Melbourne slipped in and got him just beforehand. So he was one that we probably felt, uh, from a needs perspective, uh, we missed out on. But then you've been you're sitting there and you go, well, you've got a, a kid like Darcy Parrish who's been all Australian at. Um, at 17 years of age and 18 years of age, um, probably not as physically as big as what Clayton was at the time, but you can just see that he's starting now to grow with confidence. Uh, and he's a, a, a classic kid that will always find the ball. Um, 
and and he'll be suited by the modern game because he'll go contest to contest. So, you know, he's he's going to be a terrific play for us, and we're wrapped to get to get Darcy, and we're equally wrapped to to secure Aaron because Aaron could quite easily that year have gone number one in the draft. Um, unfortunately, there were some personal situations that didn't allow him to finish that season off. But he had a game at SANFL level, oh, sorry, at state level, uh, where he got a standing ovation. And I've said it before, I've never seen a kid get a standing ovation coming off the ground late in a game of football. He just absolutely dominated. Um, he took about 14 or 15 marks. And then the following week, he went and played as a forward. All the recruiters asked um, the South Australians if they could play him forward, and he kicked about five goals, six. Uh, and then his season came to an end, so we never really got to see him play the back half of that season. Um, but we were always super keen to get you know Aaron and Darcy to our club, and yeah, we're wrapped to have them. You've had some recent success with South Australians, and Mason Redmond was another one that was taken at pick thirty. When, when did he come on your radar? And are you pleased to see just his rise lately, and how he's really taken on that role across half back? Yeah, certainly, and. Uh, Merv Kane and Bruce Evans um, just loved him from, from, from the first time they laid eyes on him. And they were strong all year about Mason. Um, the days that I actually saw him play, he didn't actually do a lot. So I kept challenging the boys quite a bit about, you know, does he find the ball? You know, his numbers were pretty low. He did play, I think, one game of SANFL senior footy. But then when we put the whole picture together in terms of, you know, um, where he'd come from, where he travelled from, uh, relocating, all that sort of thing. And then you meet him uh, and you realise that, um, you know, he, he's a, a fairly complete package. You can play half back, half forward on ball, and he's a tough, resilient kid. The the media talked him up as a forward as a time, Mason Redmond. Was the plan to always play him in defence? No, we actually thought he'd make, uh, and still do, think he could play uh, as a midfielder. He's combative, he's tough, he's um, got good tank, got good speed, got good game awareness. And we've always felt it could be that uh, tallish midfielder, but, you know, a bit like Corey Enright was for, for the Cats, those really nice size 6'2 running mids. Uh, and I still think he could do that. Obviously, we've got a bit of depth in our back half with Sard and McKenna. Uh, Guelphie can play back half. So maybe going forward, he may get looked at, but he certainly looks really comfortable across half back. He actually, in his first year, played one game against Collingwood in his first year as a as a deep forward, and he was um, really, really good that day. He has actually kicked a few goals, hit the scoreboard. So, look, he's one of those all-round players. But you're right, you want to see these guys become a specialist of something, and I think it'll be half-back on ball for him. Well, after Redmond, you put in a bid at pick 53 for Jack Silvani, which uh, took the headlines at the time. Was that a bit of cheekiness from your end, or were you actually quite serious on, on getting him to the club? You have to keep the opposition honest, particularly Carlton. Like, um, you know, they thought they were going to walk Jack through and get him for nothing. You've seen Jack's played 70 games of AFL football, so he's no mug. He can play the game. In fact, he's going to have a very good AFL career. So I knew he was sitting there, and I knew Carlton thought they were going to get him for nothing, and I knew they were going to take him. And I just thought, well, let's just keep him honest and they can use some points um, at that time. So, um yeah, but had we have uh, had they declined, we'd been more than happy to have had him, and it would have been justified. Well, the pick later, you took Mitch Brown, uh, who yep played a couple of or a few seasons after that, and some would say was pretty unlucky to to not be offered a a new contract at the end of twenty nineteen. What was the reasoning behind that? 
Well, firstly, Mitch was a terrific servant for our club. Um, and, you know, he, it was a very, very tough decision not to offer him a contract last year. But we um, looked at our list uh, and we had to make a tough call. Um, we looked at the age demographics of our, our forwards and we, we knew that we had to bring on a young, uh, tall forward for the future of the club. And we targeted Harry Jones and thankfully in the draft, we got him. Um, and to bring boys on the list, as I said in last week's uh, podcast about Michael Hartley, you know, we, we had to let Michael Hartley go to give Brandon Zerk Thatcher the opportunity. And, and it's basically the same thing with Mitch Brown. You have to let someone go to bring someone on. And we knew that hopefully, well, Joey's coming back, James Stewart's coming back, um, McKern's playing really good football as a, as a forward. Um, and we really wanted to bring in a young forward for the future of the club. So we needed the spot, identified Harry Jones, and we worked really hard in the draft to uh, obviously gave up a fair bit to trade up to get him. So the strategy worked, but we had some hairy moments there because there weren't many tall forwards coming through in the draft. So that was basically the reason. Um, unfortunately, you know, you've got limitations. And going forward, it's going to be a lot tougher, Jules, because the AFL are now talking about limiting the, the size of lists. And this will, this will be the challenge for all clubs about how you balance your list. Um, you know, certainly, you know, if, if you're taking a short-term view, then there's no doubt that Mitch would have probably played a couple of games of, well, he probably would have played senior football for us this year. But if you're taking a long-term view um, and you think that James Stewart, um, Joey Danaher, McKernan, um, hopefully Draper can play a bit forward, um, we thought we had a lot of options and it gave us the chance to bring in a young kid who we desperately wanted to bring onto our program. So that was the reason, uh, and it was a tough call, and he's, and he's uh, desperately unlucky. Your job requires you to make some pretty tough calls. How hard is it to have those conversations with players? Extremely hard, and extremely hard when it's people like Mitch Brown, who are fantastic pe- is a fantastic person. And I'll be honest, sometimes it's really difficult to have those chats and, um, <laughs> you know, because you, there is a human element to this. You're dealing with people, uh, and every club will say the same thing. Um, they come to the club, they, 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 they give it their all, but there's only a short lifespan for an AFL footballer. Um, it's a cycle of life. You, you know, you, you drafted it at 18. Most guys are out of the system by 22, 23, and then there's a, another percentage that get to about 30 years of age that have a career. You know, in Mitch's case, he's blessed to have had um, a long career in the game, and he's also blessed that he's been given opportunity by the Melbourne Football Club. But they are tough uh, and they're conversations that you don't like having, particularly with guys like Mitch who do everything right and um, are, are certainly, um, you know, stiff to be you know, let go. Then you've got the other end of the spectrum where you've got young boys that and every club has these kids that get drafted every year that don't give themselves the opportunity and you see wasted talent walk out the door and, you know, they're equally as tough because you want to see young people um, develop and get the best out of their lives. So, um, but it's a great industry, and the great thing about our game is that we give a lot of people opportunities to hop on senior list. And I, I really, really hope that uh, for the integrity of the AFL going forward, that we can keep our lists as as long as possible to keep giving young men the opportunity to play the game. Well, yeah. Speaking of opportunities, there are plenty of them, especially through the VFL. We saw Anthony McDonald, Tip, and Woody arrive via the rookie draft um, that followed that 2015 draft. How? How did he not get picked up earlier by Essendon or any other club? I mean, he just hit the ground running in his first year, didn't he, in 2016? 
Yeah, he certainly did. And um, Tipper um, showed exciting moments uh, as a as a young player, but they were few and far between. I think he was only averaging, you know, seven or eight possessions a game. But what he did was electrifying. What let Tipper down was his body shape. Um, you would look at him and you would think he was, you know, probably carrying a, a few extra kilos and, and there would be question marks around whether he would do the work. The one thing that stood out for, for Merv and I was that Peter Francis at Gippsland Power, Nick Stevens, who actually coached him, was super strong on him. And we had a really good relationship with both those guys and still do today. And um, they just kept saying, this guy could be a real lethal weapon. And they set off half back at the time. And so what we did after he left Gippsland Power, we invited him to come down to our VFL program and the club supported our decision by giving him a job at the club. And we just set him some challenges about getting fit um, and getting his body in, in shape. And it took him a couple of years to do that, but boy, he hasn't looked back. Uh, and he set himself some really high standards in terms of the way he goes about his training program now. He's a real pro. Um, and you would think, um, you know, how the hell could this kid not have got drafted when you look at him now? But again, it comes down to you know, each, each individual player's pathway um, and what they're up against in terms of the talent pool at the time. So obviously when you measured all the kids in the talent pool in that year, um, there were kids that were fitter, bigger, stronger, faster, uh, and were getting more of the ball, and they had to just come through a different pathway. But these are the great stories. These are stories about kids with absolute resilience, and that's what Tipper's got. And I, I really love these stories. You know, we've spoken about Pev uh, and other boys that have come through VFL programs, but it's these guys that have got the want and the desire to make it. Here's a kid from Tiwi that relocated at about 14 or 15 years of age to Gippsland, um, and he's done an amazing job. We're really proud of Tipper. He's been an absolutely brilliant story, and we love seeing him play so the, the vibe was pretty good around that time after 2015. And then all of a sudden you get thrown a significant curveball, a really dark day in the club's history, January 12, 2016. A WADA appeal shows that the players will be banned for the 2016 season, 34 in total, 12 from the current list. How did you take that at the time? Was it a shock? Um, how did you approach it? Oh, that goes down as the darkest day in the club's history. I'll, I'll never forget that day. Um, I've never seen grown men cry so much. I've never seen despair, heartache in a football club. You know, we were so confident that the decision was going to go our way. It went our way 12 months earlier. And then there was the appeal. And it was it was brutal. It was a brutal day. Um, and um, I remember being on annual leave, going into the club, to, to hopefully celebrate the decision. And it, it you know just turned to anger and um, we had to get off our backsides and find some players. And that was the focus and we had to stay really, really focused. I think I had my mental breakdown after we signed the last player um, and got, but because there was a, we had to be focused on getting a, a team on the park for that year. But, um, but that's what's made us stronger now, made us a better club. And that's why we've got the best supporters in the AFL and, you can never question Essendon people. They are sensational supporters. You know, our coteries and networks, everyone's stuck behind us. And that's why, you know, a period like this at the moment, Jules, where everyone's looking at society and, you know, things are looking a little bit bleak. I think we're one club that hopefully the resilience of the Asada saga will make us stronger at the moment um, coming out of uh, COVID-19. So yeah, it was dark times, definitely dark times. Personally, how did you keep it together during that time? You were given two months to try and find 
10 players to, to fill the list for 2016? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, I remember just saying to myself, keep it together and get on with it. And um, I think we knocked, we knocked it over really quick. Um, we got the, the 10 boys signed up really quick. We'll be speaking to James Kelly in the podcast um, and, and to get people like him in the door and um, Stokesy and, and you know Crowley and the rest of the guys was 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 fantastic and ended up being a great year for the club. We learnt a lot about ourselves as people, and uh, we've also you know we've mentioned time and time again what a great job Wisha did that year with his coaching staff and the entire football club need to be commended uh, for it. But look, it was tough. It was it was it was tough going, um, and we're glad uh, it's over and we're never going back there ever again. Well, you mentioned James Kelly, who will join us shortly. He was he was one of ten. So they were Ryan Crowley, Mark Jamar, Matthew Stokes, Matt D, James Polkinghorne, Nathan Grimmer, Jonathan Simkin, Sam Grimley, and Sam Michael. Were there any stories or any approaches out of those that really stood out for you? Um, well, the Kelly Stokes one was was the interesting one, and we'll speak about that with Cal fairly soon. Um, just the methodical approach and the professionalism that. You know, Cal had and uh, the enthusiasm and the and the and just the the want and desire from Stokesy to get out there and and play again. Um, a, a lot of these guys just wanted to play. Mark Jamar, for example, who's now our our rucks coach at the club. You know, um, he let go by Melbourne and he jumped at the chance to be our our, our ruckman that particular year with Matty Lewenberger. So, oh, there's a heap of stories and you meet some wonderful people through processes like this. The great thing about all those boys were they dropped everything to get their next chance to keep playing footy. Um, and that, that that would always stand out for me. Stories. Um, Sammy Michael was an interesting one. I've never seen a bloke eat so much in all my life. One of the, the nicest guys you'd ever wish to meet. But he would have broken records for the amount of food, the amount of food consumption any man's ever, I've ever seen in my whole entire life. And he was that meticulous with his food, an absolute cracking bloke. Um, uh, yeah, he, he was one that, uh, probably a favourite of, of, of that group for sure. Did they need much convincing? How did you pitch the club to them in, in what was a pretty turbulent time? They didn't need much convincing at all, to be honest. Uh, again, it gets, it gets back to the point where, you know, these guys are competitive beasts. You look at a guy like Ryan Crowley, who he just wanted to play. You know, he wanted to get out there. And we thought with Crowley that... You know, we're going to be very, very young. Um, uh, Cal was going to give us some some experience down back. Obviously, Brendan, Mc, Brendan Goddard had got to the club as well. So we had a little bit of experience, but around the ball, we're going to be a bit light. So we got Krause to come on board to be that junkyard dog um, tagger for us. Um, you know, we spoke about Cal, spoke about Stokesy. We found Matty D from the process. I think people forget that. You know, we signed Matty D up who'd had... Um, Played some terrific games at Richmond, but was let go. And then he jumped at the chance. You know, he just couldn't believe he got the opportunity. Subsequently, he got retained on our list. Um, James Polkinghorne was a bloke that, you know, obviously a former Brisbane player, um, a local. Uh, he, he was great and actually did a bit of work in our welfare department. Jonathan Simkin um, was going well until he hurt himself. Spoke about Mark Jamar, who's still around the club. Just a great bloke, Rush. Um uh, you know, big smile, um, a really giving sort of a person and, and taught our younger guys a hell of a lot and still doing so today. And we signed uh, Shane Grimley up because, sorry, Sam Grimley, 
because there was a, a, just a lack of tools at the time and we wanted to get someone to uh, give Joey, a young Joe Danaher, a chop out at the time and, and he came on board. But, um, yeah, it, it was an interesting time, but we found a lot of plays through that period. You know, Fantasia had to step up, Parrish had to step up, Joey had to step up, uh, and it held us in good stead for the future. How much do you think it's helped their development? You mentioned Parrish and Fantasia. Hard to quantify because maybe they would have been better players with a stronger team around them. I think, though, but any opportunity that you're given to play league football is an opportunity to show what you can do. Um, and what it shows is, is your mental resilience and your mental toughness. And that's what stood out with, you know, with Tipper, with Parrish, you know, um, and, and Fantasia was one that stood up because we thought that Raz probably needed a bit more time because of his body shape, you know, very light body player, but he just thrived on responsibility. And that's where you see people grow in your environment that they say, you know, there's an opportunity here for me. Um, and I'm going to take it. And that's what they certainly did. If you didn't have to spend these, uh, you know, January and February of 2016 looking for 10 top-up players, how would you have normally spent those months at that time of the year? Yeah, well, it's a it's a time of year where I'd probably be on annual leave, um, which I was, and I'd be coming back to work at about oh, first or second week of February. Uh, and then obviously hopping into a fair bit of planning. And games come around... As, as early as February, you know, obviously um, you know, practice matches around the country and what have you. So uh, all the planning starts with contracting, TPP strategy, list management strategy, uh, future drafting, all that sort of thing comes into play. So that's what I normally would have been doing. But that particular year was about um, finding a, a whole host of players to, to fill a void. Well, we've got James Kelly on the line, who was the real success story out of those 2016 top-up players. After retiring from AFL footy, he returned to play two seasons in the red and black, finishing a runner-up in the 2016 Crichton medal and now an assistant coach at the club. Adrian, could you have predicted Cal's contribution being so significant? Uh, Cal's a champion of the game. It's actually interesting sitting back during this period and watching all these old you know, Geelong finals. It's amazing what a champion player he was and uh, you tend to forget it. So there's no real hidden secret that, you know, once he got to our club, he was going to be an ultra pro. His body was in good shape um, and he probably could have kept playing for another year or so. Cal, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Cal, at the end of 2015, you retired from AFL footy after three premierships with Geelong and quickly moved into a football operations role before the shot call from Essendon. Was a return to playing ever in the back of your mind? Uh, not really. Like I felt like I finished in 2015 and I still had um, some footy left in the tank, but I'd, I'd put that to bed because there was no avenue to come back and play AFL. Um, and I was happy to move on and start a new career working at the head office. And I thought eventually might come back to Clubland and, and be a coach. Um, but in my mind, that was a few years down the track. Cal, how are you? It's Adrian. Good, thank you, my friend. How are you? Going well, going well. Now, come on, tell the truth. What got you over the line and got you out of retirement to come and play with the Bombers? Tell the truth. Are, are, you, are you suggesting that it was you? 
No, I'm not saying it was me, but you know, we just want to get the facts here. We 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 want to give our um our fans out there the facts. No, look, I, look, I, facts. like I said, I, I'd finished in 2015, um, and I, I'd felt like I still could play good footy. I felt like my body was good, and I'd had five months off. And when um when the boys got suspended, I, I got a phone call from. Matt Egan, you know, within sort of an hour or so, um, he was a coach at the time and my best mate from school. And uh, he'd sort of said, was there any interest, um, any interest for me to come and play? And I said, oh, look, I, I haven't given it any thought. But in the back of my mind, I, I'd already sort of thought I could do this if I needed to, if this is something they wanted me to do and I had an opportunity to help out the club, the club that I supported as a kid, I would take that opportunity. And I'd, I'd made up my mind really quickly off the back of that phone call with Matt Egan. And then when I say made up my mind, I hadn't actually made up my mind, but I thought if it comes down to it, push comes to shove. No, just good that, Cal, it's just good that the truth is finally coming out. That's all. Keep going. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> yeah, long story short, the phone call from Adrian followed the next day and that was a lovely phone call. And then we had a meeting and uh, with Matthew Stokes as well and you know sort of the rest is history as they say but um, at the time I, I had the feeling that I just I wanted to actually help more than anything I thought if I could play some good footy that would be great um, I never sort of thought I'd play as many games as I did but um, I wanted to help and, and you know be someone who could um, give everyone a chop out in a time where the, the club I supported as a kid was was having a really rough period. Yeah, well, yeah, spot on. Um, but I think you know our fans out there probably need to see a truer perspective of what actually happened because here you had the great James Kelly and his mate Stokesy working at the AFL. So um, he got these guys that had played football for you know 12, 13 years and all of a sudden they're working a nine-to-five job. So I called Tom Petruro, their manager, and we organised a, a bit of a meeting and we, and we did catch up. And the funny thing about the catch-up was that I had an inkling that they both wanted to play, but Cal came into the meeting as the negotiator, uh, playing hard to get, you know, um, whereas Stokes, he had this big grin on his face, and you could see written all over his face was, just give me the contract, I want to play. And uh, Cal's just giving him uh, the odd elbow in the guts to shut up, I'll do the talking. So the conversation... <laughs> They did, and the conversation went a bit like this. So I'm saying, boys, you know, we'd really like you to play. Would you consider it? Stokes, he's sitting there with the biggest grin on his face going, get me out of the office. I want to get back in the footy. Cal turns around and says, well, look, I'm, I'm not too sure. And, and you've just heard him say he'd made up his mind within five minutes. But to me, he said, oh, look, I'm not too sure. Um, I live in Geelong. Um, do I have to do weights training? A what? Um, no. we, we can modify that. No, oh, hang no, on, no, no, no. no. Oh, hang on. What about what about these school appearances? Do I have to go to them? Well, I live in Geelong. Can you make? What about my recovery sessions? And to be honest, Jules, we never had much of a bargaining power back then. So, you Stokes make, is sitting there with a big grin on his face. You're making it sound Sorry? not what it was, Adrian. I said that. I, no, come I on. Said, I didn't want to not do <laughs> weights. I said, could I do weights early so I could get home to my young family? And you're right, I didn't want to do appearances. I felt like I'd done <laughs> a lot of appearances in my time and I wasn't coming out of retirement to be 
doing appearances. Um, but in the end, I ended up doing because I felt guilty for all the players did. who did. Um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, like uh, we were just sort of, I guess from my point of view, we were just feeling out what the what it would be. Like we would be coming back and it would be, you know, it was more sort of what the club was thinking about what the year was going to be, whether it was going to be um, pick up where they left off the year before or whether it was going to be, you know, let's do what we can to get through the yeah. year and make yeah. it a fun environment, all those sort of things. So, so Cal, did you need much convincing at the time or it's just a matter of, you know, getting those finer details sorted? Uh, yeah, it's a little bit of finer detail and I, I knew um, – yeah, like I said before, I knew I could do it. I felt like I could and I'd had some time off and a few little niggles I'd had late in my career were gone. Um, so, and I'd actually started training again. So I felt pretty good when I was training just on a personal level for myself. And um, so I, I think just actually sitting down with Adrian and also the next day, or it might have been a couple of days later, I had a phone call with Wusher as well and we're just chatting and I sort of said the same sorts of things and he was a bit the same, and which was which was good for me because I felt like Wusher and Adrian were on the same page about what the year was going to look like. Um, you know, they didn't come in and say they were going to win the premiership. They didn't come in and say this is going to be diabolical. It was both of them were talking about how they wanted to have some senior players around and create an environment for the young players that were left behind. We, they still wanted to continue to develop young players and that was going to be my role within um, coming back to play was to help the younger players and, um, you know, just be a be an older person in a in a really young environment. Yeah. And and I was only, look, uh, you know, there's always the humorous side to, to all these negotiations and meetings. But seriously speaking, what it said about Cal was that he was methodical, professional, considered... Um, just everything you'd want to have. And the more I spoke to him on that day, the more I said, we've got to get this guy into the club. We desperately need to get James Kelly to our football club. And for our Essendon supporters out there, um, he showed unbelievable leadership in that particular year. We then consequently re-signed him the following year, made the finals, and we went out, um, unfortunately, against the Swans up in Sydney. But the club did not hesitate um, to uh, give... Cal an opportunity to be a, a coach at our football club and he's doing a, an amazing job and he has a great future in coaching uh, and that's one of the benefits of what happened through that Asada period is that there were a lot of low lights there were a lot of disappointment but out of it we got a number of players that went on to forge AFL careers and he's a budding coach within our ranks. Cal my question to you is you've been a premiership player great environment at Geelong all of a sudden you've come to this club and the expectation was we weren't going to win a game how did you handle that? And what were your thoughts on how the season went? Uh, I think it, it was actually easier than what some people may think because the expectation was low. Um, like I'd said, you, you and Wush had talked to me about um, the opportunity for development of young players and the leadership of young players. So my mindset the whole time from when I took the first phone call to when um, – you know, I played my first game, Was I was there to help. Um, whatever I could do to help out the younger players, I felt I really enjoyed that part of it and I enjoyed that players would ask me questions, um, probe me about game plan, what we did at Geelong, what was this player like, what was that player like, how does Joel Selwood prepare himself, Is you know, was Matthew Scarlett as ruthless as they say he was, things like that and... 
Um, so my mindset was all, all around that and my ability to share my knowledge and develop the younger players rather than the win-loss. And it was, it was quite an easy thing to do given the circumstances. Um, but then, you know, we, we started playing, I think, some, some different pretty good footy. We started improving as the year went on and um, it was really rewarding to see that rather yeah. than see the wins on the board. Yeah, I've said it before. For me personally, even though we we won the wooden spoon, it was probably the most enjoyable year I've ever had in football. Given that there was no expectations, I know you've you've won premierships, um, big finals, big games. But I've always wanted to ask you the win against Melbourne when everyone said, I think it was round two or three that particular year. Everyone said we wouldn't win a game for the year. How does that win rank up there in your career for highlights? Oh, it was it was great. You know, seeing the the boys' faces at the end of that game, they were ecstatic. You know, Darcy Parrish kicked that goal to sort of seal it and, um, you know, there was things like that that happened throughout that game. And I remember talking to Zaka after the game and he was sort of saying, um, you know, oh, you, you've had bigger wins than this and this would mean nothing to you. And I was like, no, mate, it's every win's as important as the other ones. And to see the players... Um, their excitement after the game, I got real satisfaction out of. Um, and selfishly, I felt like I'd played a role in that. But, um, yeah, it was really enjoyable. You know, any win is a good win. It was, yep. yeah, it was fantastic. Adrian, I wanted to just go back to where it all began with with Cal. The 2001 Super Draft, uh, you had pick 18 and you wanted to take uh, James at that pick, but you missed out. He uh, went to the Cats at pick 17. Can you talk us through that experience? Oh, yeah, just another one of the hard luck stories. Actually, um, the, and Cal would probably remember this, but we thought that he was going to get through to our pick, um, pick 18, and hadn't spoken to him prior to, the, prior to the draft because we just wanted to keep expectations fairly low about who we wanted to pick. And I remember speaking to Harves, who was in the next office down. I said, hey, Harves, I'm going to go ring up this kid, Kelly, from Calder Cannons. He lives up the road at Wood End. Wood End? Sunbury. Sunbury, same thing. No, sorry, apologies. Sunbury and um, so I rang him up and her and Harv's actually listened to the conversation and Cal's gone oh you know I'm an Essendon supporter and you know um, you know the '93 Premiership and all that sort of stuff. I could hear Harv saying just sorry, just get him, just get him. So we actually told him that if things fell our way, we we're going to draft him, uh, but we missed out by one. So, but we got him what some 10, 11 years later. Um, Would have been nice to have had him through that uh, the mid two thousands, no doubt. Cal, how do you think that Essendon? reignited your passion for the game? Oh, it was more so um, the helping of the younger players, you know, look at watching the development in Zach Merritt, Fantasia, Tip and Woody, Darcy Parrish, those sort of guys and how much I enjoyed watching them develop and watching them learn and watching them work hard and not knowing what hard work looked like and then, you know, a year later watching them work hard independently without getting prodded um things like that was what i became you know really in love with about footy again i'd I'd understood that my best playing days were were behind me but um i got real satisfaction out of that that um leadership and development of the younger players and that's sort of that's what sent me down the road to coach i thought that um, through a period of my career, I thought that I would coach. And then for sort of the back end of my career, I thought maybe I'll go to it uh, after I do something else. Um, and it was really the, 
especially the first 12 months at Essendon, that I really enjoyed my time and I enjoyed what working and watching the young players. And I thought, oh, you know, this is, this is what I want to do. And um, I had a conversation with my wife about it. I just said to her, you know, I think I want to coach. You know, how do you feel about that? It means that I'll be on contracts again and, you know, we're having a family and all that sort of stuff. And, and she, was, she was great. So she said, I was wondering when this conversation was going to happen. I knew that you were going to go down this road anyway. So let's do it. And then, you know, I waited 12 months before I said anything to the club. And then um, when it was looking like things were going to finish up and we weren't sure what was going on, I sort of said, you know, I need to know because I want to be a coach. And funny enough, some spots had opened up at Essendon. And um, yeah, I sort of inter- went through a formal interview process, but it was really that 12 months of working with the younger players and developing and, and watching them um you know, start their careers, that sort of turned it around. Cal, when you joined Essendon, you tweeted Don the Sash before the news was official. I don't think you'd you'd even signed the contract yet. Um, (laughs) Were you struggling to contain your excitement at the time? (laughs) No, I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to control it. Um, I went to, uh, I met with Adrian, went to the club, um, had a quick medical and I'd sort of wandered around a little bit and said g'day and then I left. I drove out of the club and I parked on Melrose Drive and I rang my dad and I said, oh, he's like, oh, you know, what are you going to do? And I said, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to do it. Um, no, not I think, I am. I'm going to do it. I'm just leaving now. And he was wrapped. He's a lifelong Essendon supporter as well. And um, so he was pumped. So I was, I was sitting on Melrose Drive and I wrote a text message to – um, the senior players who I used to play with. I just sent him a message and say, boys, some news is going to come out soon. I'm going to start playing for Essendon. Um, I hope you all understand the reasons why. And like I sent a bit of a personal message to some guys I was really close with. And then I thought there was some media. I think it was Tom Brown was sniffing around the footy club and I thought he saw me in my car. Um, I got a staff member to drive me in their car from out the back of the footy club to my car so no one would see me. So the tweet was about just controlling the information myself. I didn't want to I didn't want to turn on the news and then see that someone had got a photo for me or stopped me in the car park. So I tried to control that whole thing and then tweet, you know, don the sash. And my manager rang me and he's like, you know, we haven't even talked about money or we haven't signed a contract yet, you know. And uh, I said, well, if I don't end up playing there, I'm going to end up working there because of this now. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, very good. Good tactic. The influence of Wusha, how much is, has that been on your coaching career now at, now at Essendon? And also, how much of an influence was he when uh, you were contemplating joining Essendon? I think the the main thing I've learned from Wusha is his ability to stay calm when everyone else isn't. Um, there was times throughout my career and especially early as a as a young coach where you do tend to get emotional and sometimes Wusha gets a bit of stick for being unemotional but that's actually a great strength and it's what you want the leader of your organisation to be is cool and calm in hard situations. And throughout that 2016 year, I don't think I heard Wusher raise his voice once to that group of players. He didn't ever call people out in meetings. He made people feel comfortable. Everyone was willing to put their hand up and talk in a meeting. All those sorts of things are really great fundamentals that Wusher's taught me as a young coach and what I watched him do as a player. 
his ability to calm the room, always talk with the same tone in his voice, have an ability yeah. ability to get the answers out of the group rather than give the answers to the group is the main thing I've learned from Woosh. Yeah, he he was outstanding in that first year. Like he's been a great asset to us as well, um, and we thank him for everything he's done. But I I, I couldn't believe uh, the contribution to just to keep the environment bubbling along. And as I've said before, the boys wanted that year to keep going. You know, here here we were finished on the bottom of the ladder, but everyone had enthusiasm to keep going towards the latter part of the year. I think we won two of the last three, didn't we, Cal? Yeah, we did well. Like I said before, I thought we we improved at the back end of the year and. Yeah, Wush's ability to stay calm and unemotional in those things allowed the playing group just to focus on footy and play. We, we weren't going into meetings wondering whether Wusher was going to give us a bake. Mm. Cal, on the, um, on, 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 the, on the podcast here, the, the Dodcast actually, we ask the hard-hitting questions, mate. Do you want to be a senior AFL coach one day? <laughs> We're looking for headlines tomorrow in the hard, um, Hard-hitting journalism. Is that you? Yeah, hard hitting here. We, we're, we're very hard hitting. Yeah. Oh, look, like it's, I'd be lying if it said it wasn't something I thought about. But at this point in time, I've only been coaching for a couple of years and I coach every day to try to be a better coach and get the most out of my players. And if eventually one day my skill set allows me to do something like that, then that's, that's great. I'm not, I'm not closing the door on that ever. But um, at this point in time, it's like being a young player. You're just trying to, learn the game, learn how to coach, build new skills, put more tools in your toolbox so you can eventually um, do something like that. So uh, the door's not closed ever on that, but I, I do feel like I'm still yeah. learning a lot as yeah. a young coach. Yeah. So in other words, you've just said that you want to be a senior coach one day. That's that's what the answer is. Adrian, <laughs> is this this is ambush journalism. This isn't hard-hitting journalism. Oh, we, we're looking for um, you know more, view, more viewers down the track. That's all. <laughs> Cal, tell me, tell me um, about the future of, of the team going forward. You know, you're intimately obviously involved with the, with our, with the playing group at the moment. Where do you see the future? Um, how do you see it? Uh, what, what can we achieve going forward as a, as a uh, senior coach at Essendon? <laughs> a senior assistant coach at Essendon. Yeah, nice one. Um, look, I think with any playing group, the, where you end up, really is up to the group where how far they're willing to go is up to them of how hard they're willing to work, how tight they're willing to be, um, how connected they are with each other, how aligned they are with the coaches. I think certainly from, if you're talking from a recruiting talent point of view, we've got enough cattle to do what we want to do. Um, it's a matter of getting everyone on the same page, embedding things we need to embed. I think you're a lot of the time you look at teams like Richmond and you think, oh, well, you know, they came out of nowhere and they dominated this grand final in 2016 against a team that, you know, were, were tipped to beat them. But the work that Richmond had done takes a long period of time. They, they weren't a very good team for a fair while. And to get these things ingrained and embedded and to get your playing list where you want it to be does take time. Um, so our focus is on improvement continue to get better, get games into players we need to get games in, manage our senior players as best we can to have them performing at the right end of the year. All those sorts of things is the focus. And it, it sounds yeah. so repetitive to hear people from clubs say that, but it's the reality of it where the hard part is we're a results-based industry and the challenge of coaching and being in an AFL club is to ignore the results and stick with the process. And I, th I think we're on that path, which is... Um, 
which is really good. It's really comforting. I've seen it before and there's other coaches in the organisation that have seen it before. Yourself, Adrian, have been there since the war. You've seen it. So, <laughs> you know, you can sort of, you can feel the, the, you know, you can feel the swell coming up underneath you, underneath the group, but it's a, it's up to us to how far we go forward with it. Yeah. Yeah, no, well, well said, well said. Um, obviously, 17 was your last year of football. Did you have another one in you? Did you think you had one more in the tank? Uh, yeah, I certainly thought physically I, I was fine. Physically, I thought I could I could go again. Mentally, I had some questions about whether I was as committed as you need to be to be an AFL player. I, I'd felt like if I um, if I looked after myself over the break, I could play another year. But now sitting here in 2020, I feel I feel good that I'd finish playing thinking, oh, maybe I could have, rather than being completely tapped out. I left, the game, I left the game in a really good mindset. I was enormously grateful for two great clubs that I got to play with. I had so much experience with um, 2016, you know, 2017, my time at Geelong, all of those things. I felt like I, I was just really comfortable with finishing. Um, and I knew what I wanted to do, whether I, whether I was a coach straight away or whether I ended up coaching a few years down the track. I was really comfortable in my life and in myself that I'd, I'd achieved everything I wanted to um, and I was, I was ready to move on. Uh, well said. And, you know, um, you've been an absolute asset to our football department uh, moving forward. And, you know, we got you late, mate, but, geez, you've, you've made a significant contribution in a short period of time. Oh, thanks, mate. I appreciate that. It's been good. I, I really enjoy the footy club. Well, Cal, it's been great to have you on the show and uh, get some fascinating insights into how you joined Essendon and um, also the coaching role you have now at the club. Hope you keep well during the lockdown and um, hopefully we'll resume soon when uh, some announcements come in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, hope everyone's well and thank you for having me on. Coffee soon, Cal. Love that. Well, that's all for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Adrian, we'll have some questions for you next week from the Essendon faithful, so stay tuned on how you can get involved. As always, pleasure to catch up with you. Thanks, Jules. Looking forward to next week.